Welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast on the Talent 409 Network. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is where listeners can learn about leadership and other related qualities from today's most successful business people and former coaches and athletes. At Talent 409, we help high school and collegiate athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to student-athletes, we work with coaches and administrators at the high school and collegiate level to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. As a reminder, a portion of all fees associated with working with Talent 409 gets donated to your local Alzheimer's Association. This podcast is brought to you by Taylor Digital. Taylor Digital is a virtual design company that helps solopreneurs Get established online with a cohesive image so they can feel more confident in their business. Taylor Digital offers branding, social media design, and Squarespace website design. Go to Taylor Digital, that's Taylor T-A-Y-L-A-R. I didn't spell it, she did. Go to TaylorDigital.com today to set up your free consultation. This episode is also brought to you by the Sweat With Stides Hit The Gym program. That's right, you've heard me promote Hit at home before, but... Sweat with Stads has released a new program that's great for people who go to the gym but are looking for a plan to follow. Hit the Gym is one month of six workouts per week, three HIT workouts, and three strength workouts designed to help you build strength and sculpt your body. This program does require access to a lot of equipment, but that also means that you'll be doing a lot of different moves and you'll never get bored. The program comes as a downloadable PDF with supplemental videos that demo each move so you don't have to be an expert to do it. I've personally been doing Sweat with Stads workouts for three months now, and I can honestly say I'm in the best shape of my life. And anyone who knows me, I love to say that, but it's true. I also look forward to my workouts because I know they'll always be changing, and the format moves are always changing, so it never gets stale. You can do these workouts too by going to sweatwithstads.com and clicking the Hit the Gym. My listeners can get a discount by entering the promo code CCP. Instead of $40, this program is only $30 when you use that code. What can you do with $30 in 30 days? This podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. This will help me grow the show. It really does help. So I really appreciate you taking some time to do that so that we're providing you the maximum value. On today's episode, I'm bringing in the great Joe Batista. Coach Batista coached Penn State's hockey program to six national titles, negotiated the largest donation in Penn State history to get it a beautiful ice hockey arena down at State College, was recruited by a billionaire to lead an NHL franchise in the Buffalo Sabres, and now he takes all of that experience and all of his past work and has his own company, his own book, Pragmatic Passion. This is going to be a great episode, and we're actually going to do a book giveaway contest as well. Joe's been generous enough to donate a book for this contest. He's going to autograph it for the winner. And the way that we're going to do this contest is quite simply through a rating and review. If you go to Apple iTunes, you probably know this already, but you can do a rate and review. It's got to be a combination of the two in order to qualify. But I'm going to draw a person at random to win a book, again, by Joe Batista, his book, Pragmatic Passion, autographed by him. It's a great read if you're looking for advice on leadership and culture. 
and how to get moving and be passionate with your desires in life. This is a great, fun idea. I appreciate Joe having my back and giving us this opportunity to do this. So go to Apple iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review. I'll pick a random one, and we'll have a winner probably in a couple weeks here or so. Now, let's take some time, get settled in, sit back, and relax. But first, a little Joan Jet. everyone. Well, welcome back to the show. I have Coach Joe Patista on the line with me today. Joe, welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Thanks for having me, Colin. I'm excited to chat with you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I have as well. And I had uh, the opportunity to hear you speak about three or four weeks ago here in Charlotte about your new book, uh, Pragmatic Passion, which We'll get into a little bit here later in the conversation, but I got to hear you speak on that and just on leadership and your experiences with Penn State hockey and the community and all these different things. And I've just been really excited to get you on here as well and and be able to share your story with my audience. So I want to give you the floor here and let you start and just walk us through, you know, your experiences. It's such a wide range of different things that you've done, but take us through some of the things that you've accomplished and some of the things that have gotten you to where you are today. Well, it's, uh, uh, one thing I've learned is, uh, I couldn't hold a job for very long. Uh, (laughs) so I've had lots of experiences. Uh, uh, it's not altogether true. I, I did work at Penn state for 27 years, but in different uh, capacities. But uh, part of the reason why I decided to write the book was to, to talk about that, that whole journey and to the, you know, help young people kind of figure out and people that are in transitions um, that it is a journey, that exploration is a part of it and you got to try some things and then you ultimately got to go out and get it done. And that, that was my, inspiration for doing a book. Um, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, started playing hockey at a time when hockey wasn't that big a deal in the Pittsburgh area. And, you know, I won the Dapper Dan uh, uh, Hockey Classic uh, All-Star MVP award when I was 17 and just assumed that just like my football and baseball and basketball buddies that, you know, were, were having success, uh, at that level that uh, I'd be getting a college hockey scholarship and I was going to go play in the NHL. And, uh, you know, uh, didn't quite work out that way. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up at Penn State almost by default. and It was one of the best things ever happened to me. Um, but I really believed, uh, you know, naively that uh, I was a lot better than I was. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that Pittsburgh hockey is finally starting to get recognition as, as are the non lots of non-traditional hockey areas as the game has grown. Uh, but, uh, I never lost my passion 
for hockey, Colin. I, I uh, just turned it to a different uh, uh, part of the, the game by getting a degree in business. And my first job right out of college was uh, in sales and marketing with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I, you know, kind of had that dream job working for my hometown team. Um, I got bit by the coaching bug and started coaching the junior Penguins. Uh, I became the Penguins' first director of amateur hockey development. And this is all was taking place right after the 1980 uh, gold medal miracle on ice uh, uh, team did their thing. And so I was uh, inspired by that and got involved with USA Hockey as a coaching instructor at a very young age, was actually in Lake Placid. Doing some camps uh, for USA Hockey and out in Colorado Springs, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, was passionate about it, and decided I wanted to make a career in coaching. So uh, I left the Penguin organization after three years and went to Kent State University when they still had a varsity hockey program there, and as a grad assistant. And eventually went to Culver Military Academy, which has one of the best prep school hockey programs in the country, and was more than fortunate to work with uh, Coach Al Clark, who was one of the greatest human beings I've ever met, mentor, coach. Um, and unfortunately, in some respects, I only got to spend a, a year with him, and then a job opened up at Penn State uh, that they created for uh, assistant uh, ice rink manager and head hockey coach for the club team there and summer camp director. And it's my alma mater. I thought, well, okay, I got to take this chance. And my goal was to get us from the club sport level up to varsity status. And uh, that, that journey started in 1987. And lo and behold, uh, 2010, uh, we were able to get a gift that changed everything from Terry and Kim Pagula, who were the current owners of the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills and Pagula Sports and Entertainment. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how we ended up becoming a varsity hockey program at Penn State. Uh, in between there, uh, after coaching and uh, growing the hockey uh, schools at Penn State, when I got there, we had two weeks. We reached a point where we were doing seven weeks. They were always sold out, kids on a wait list. And that's actually how I met Terry Pagula for the first time. His son, Michael, attended hockey camp at Penn State. And, uh, you know, once he was able to sell his business, that's when he made it clear that he wanted to make a transformational gift to Penn State, take the hockey programs, men's and women's, up to Division One status. We built a $91 million award-winning uh, Pagula Ice Arena, and uh, the program's gone uh, better than ever expected, 106% uh, capacity. Uh, they've sold out all the two games. Um, since we opened the rink in 2013. And uh, every time I drive by there, Colin, I have a uh, big smile on my face. I did leave for a couple years after we built the facility here. I went to work for the Pagulas in Buffalo uh, as a vice president of the Sabres. And uh, so my, my career has uh, kind of taken lots of different twists and turns, whether it was in sales and marketing, uh, teaching camps, uh, operating camps, uh, arena management, uh, facilities management for other facilities in Penn State. I became the executive director of the Nittany Lion Club, 
which was the largest uh, booster organization in the NCAA. Uh, I got to do some pretty cool stuff with that. Uh, 2009 at the Rose Bowl, I got to lead 25,000 people in uh, We Are Penn State chair. And that was, as I told my brother, the closest I'll ever get to being a rock star. <laughs> uh, it sent chills up my spine. And uh, so at any rate, uh, then became the Associate Athletic Director of Penn State and eventually uh, went to Buffalo. And uh, now I'm back home with my family. I'm, uh, I started my own business, uh, Pragmatic Passion Consulting, and I'm doing leadership development and workshops, uh, work, working predominantly with college and high school kids, but also with businesses and teams and having a ball. I'm just, I, I have found another passion that fits my purpose of, helping other people grow. Wow. What a journey that's been. And I want you to take me back. Now, when I saw you speak, you had a nice slideshow put together and a lot of different pictures. I actually remember that picture when you led the uh, We Are Penn State chant at the Rose Bowl. And one of the other pictures that really stood out to me was how different the hockey program was when you were a student at Penn State, and even when you took over to coach. Tell us about that journey specifically a little bit more. Was the goal when you got there as a coach, was it always to get to the varsity level? What were some of the things you were looking to accomplish in that program and while you were coaching? Great question. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Matter of fact, when I came here, the rumor was that we were getting a brand new uh, arena that was in 1978 um, when uh, they had a they had an indoor rink, but it was not uh, a good rink. It was never meant to be a hockey facility. Um, and some great guys, including Bill Charles, who was at that function in uh, in Charlotte, and uh, he and his teammates. Uh, guy named Larry Hentry, who was actually a chemistry professor, uh, Roy Scott, who was a freshman, went around and were able to convince people to resurrect uh, hockey, which had been a varsity sport in the late 30s, early 40s at Penn State. But because of the war, they ended up shutting the program down. And so those of us that were hockey enthusiasts were starving you know, for a a new facility and an opportunity to take the program to varsity. And that was what we were, you know, we were all hoping was going to happen when I was a freshman. And my third day on campus, it was announced that they were taking the old indoor ice pavilion and turning it into an AstroTurf practice football and, you know, field for other varsity teams and an indoor track. And suddenly not only were we not getting a new arena and going division one, we didn't look like we were even going to survive. And it was because of the Herculean efforts of a number of people that uh, hockey did survive. They built us literally a temporary ice arena uh, where the current Lash Building football complex sits. Um, And we practiced outdoors when the weather was, you know, uh, permitted. And then uh, we traveled to Johnstown. We traveled down to Mechanicsburg outside of Harrisburg uh, to practice. And we played all of our home games for two years on the road. Our home rink was in Mechanicsburg outside of Harrisburg. Um, Far cry from what I thought I was getting myself into. Um, (laughs) And, uh, but honestly, Colin, uh, 
two of the best years of my life. Those guys that I played hockey with, you know, you spend that much time in vans and buses with guys being on the road, you, you get to be good friends. And most of them are still very good friends of mine and very supportive of the current program. So I, I think, uh, you know, that, that out of the disappointment came this kind of, uh, you know, passion for this cult following for, for the club team. And then we did eventually get the new arena in 1981. But those who will, are old enough to remember the financial situation in the country at that time, we were going through an oil embargo and uh, interest rates were 15, 16 percent. Um, we ran out of money. So the arena was supposed to be 4,500 to 5,000 seats and ended up being 1,075 seats. And while we were glad to have a brand new arena, the dream of being a Division I NCAA varsity program went away when the decision was made to cut back the facility. Um, we didn't lose hope. Uh, as I said, I came back in 1987 um, and as the coach, and we renewed that you know, battle to try to find a way to either expand the rink, add ice to the uh, basketball facility, the Bryce Jordan Center. We put together so many different uh, uh, proposals and and we would, you know, spend the money to go out and, and, and do some uh, preliminary plans and uh, looked at all the different uh, scenarios for how we could make it happen. And ultimately it came back to there just wasn't enough money. Uh, it was not going to happen internally. And the only way to make it happen was going to be if we found a private donor that was going to help take the program to the next level. And, you know, that had happened uh, at North Dakota. I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, you know, the arena that they have there. And, um, it, it, you know, one gentleman gave them, uh, Ralph Engelstadt, uh, $110 million uh, to build that facility and raise that program up. And uh, we were going to need that kind of gift. And, and when I was doing my research, Colin, uh, I found that there were only at that time um, three total gifts of that magnitude. One of them was Ralph Engelstadt's. One of them was Phil Knight's from Nike to Oregon. And one of them was T. Boone Pickens. Uh, that gave uh, $165 million to uh, Oklahoma State at that time. And, you know, you're looking at this and going, okay, well, the odds aren't in our favor of this ever going to happen. And it was really the networking, the connection, the fact that we ran, we tried to run the club program at Penn State as though it were a Division One varsity program. And uh, the Pagoulas took notice of that. And next thing you know, my – my uh, conversation with him is, uh, you know, Joe, what's it going to take? And I told him $50 million, thinking that would kind of end the conversation. And instead, Terry leaned back, put his hand on his chin and said, I think I can help you with that. That was in 2005. Um, they ended up selling their company in May of 2010. So it took five years. We had some close calls in there. Um, looked like it was going to happen. and It didn't. We went through the Great Recession in 2009. Uh, that was a very uh, you know, frustrating time because we were so close at that time. And then, you know, the circumstances beyond our control prevented that from happening. But ultimately, the gift was made in September of 2010. And uh, 
the dream came true, not just for me, but for all of us who over the years had, you know, wanted to see Division One hockey or always knew that it would be successful um, and, and just so uh, passionate about what, what it's become. And uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see a game in there or watch a game on television, Colin, but the student section is unbelievable and just uh, Terry Pagula asked us to build the loudest, most rockinest hockey arena in college hockey. And uh, I believe our uh, uh, architects from Crawford uh, Architecture, uh, uh, Dave Murphy and Joe Corbea and uh, our construction management team, the guys from Morton sent out in Minneapolis, they, they just came through with uh, spades and, and we ended up with uh, what we believe is the best college hockey facility ever built. Yeah. And I think they're between the ticket sales that, you know, they go, the student tickets get sold out just as fast as the football student tickets do. And the amount of people that are at these games, it's sold out, completely sold out every single game. It's such a nice thing for the hockey program to have this type of success, but also just the type of following and the type of enthusiasm that came in such a short period of time. And like you said, it is a really beautiful facility. I almost kind of think of it as being really intimate, like uh, Duke Cameron Indoor Center is for the basketball team and where the fans are right on top of you. And like you said, it's real loud and it can be intimidating. And Penn State's had a fair amount of success in their first a handful of years here uh, at the at the varsity level. So, uh, yeah, it's yes, been a yeah, yeah it's that's, been and that's the tribute to uh, Coach Godowski and his staff and uh, uh, the kids that, that that he was able to attract and you know some of the kids that you know took a chance on Penn State like uh, uh, Tommy Olchek, who's you know Father Eddie played on the '84 Olympic team, played in the NHL coached in the NHL, is now the color and commentator on uh, NBC's uh, hockey broadcast. Um, you know, his son Tommy took a chance on Penn State, and uh, so did some other folks uh, uh, when it when it was, you know, transitioning from the club program to varsity status and helped it to get to a point where they were competitive um, so, so quickly, and uh you know, played the past two years in the NCAA tournament. They won a Big Ten championship. And I don't think anybody, you know, realistically, aside from uh, myself and maybe one or two other people that believe <laughs> we could get it done, we always figured it would take at least five years for the program to mature to where you were starting to get the blue chip athletes. And uh, Coach Godowski uh, accelerated that uh, outcome. And, uh, you know, so the program really, really is doing, uh, doing great. Uh, ticket sales are great. Uh, like I said, it, it, it really is. Every time I walk in there, you know, I just have a smile from year to year. And, you know, to have been a part of uh, what we call Team Pagula. Uh, and that included a lot of people. I mean, I get a lot of credit um, for this. But I got to tell you, obviously, if it wasn't for the gift from Terry and Kim, uh, this never happens. And then in terms of the building, uh, there were lots of people from our athletic administration, from the university administration, people in fundraising, uh, people in our office of physical plant. Uh, it was it was tremendous collaboration, uh, not without its you know battles and 
you know, some arguments along the way, but any, any transformational program is going to have that. And, uh, you know, that's leadership. That's real leadership. When, when you can have those, you know, candid conversations and it's for the greater good and, you know, get the right people, Mark Farha from icon, um, who's based in North Carolina. Um, you know, he was our, uh, uh, we, we, the owner's rep, we hired him to come in because of the magnitude of this program. And uh, he, he talked about the success. And I, I, I mentioned this in the book that, that uh, the reason it was so successful was because we always got the right people around the right table at the right time. And, uh, and we were all, you know, we had a shared vision uh, the vision that was, you know, set down to us uh, from Terry Pagula and uh, and his wife Kim, and you know, I got to tell they were the greatest donors ever because they basically said, "Here you go, you're the experts. You guys go build, the, uh, you know, make us proud." They were not in there sticking their nose in, you know, and and trying to tell people it ought to be this color, this type of furniture, that sort of thing. There were only a handful of times when they even asked, you know, about a couple of things. And, and one of them was Kim Pagola said, look, uh, you know, we, we need a ribbon board in there. You know, it'll drive revenue. We need a video board out in the lobby. It'll help attract people, um, you know, and, and other than that, um, really, uh, I asked Terry Pagola several times, you want to come in and see the facility? And he said, no, he said, uh, I don't want to, I don't need to see the baby before it's born. I have confidence in what you're all doing and uh, uh, I'll see it when it's finished. And uh, you know, walking around with him the very first time we went in there when the building was completed and I'm just looking at, you know, him looking around in amazement at Kim, you know, and, and their kids and, you know, everybody seeing the facility for the first time. They said Team Pagula, the people that were behind the scenes uh, that I was a, a teammate with, they made it happen and we're, we're actually getting together soon. Uh, at, at Pagula Ice Arena to celebrate the, the five-year anniversary of the opening of the facility, which which ended up winning five architecture and construction awards because of its design and uh, the systems that, that Mortensen put into place to build the building that got done on time and on budget, which, you know, as anybody that's ever been in development, you know, uh, re- the, the, the whole retail and the uh, uh, commercial real estate development know and anytime build facility on time and on budget that's a good thing and it doesn't happen as often as I think people would like especially doesn't happen in uh, colleges and universities where there's lots of extra layers let's let's just say and uh, I again give credit to everybody in the administration that was involved and you know and, and Colin this all happened during a really difficult time for Penn State, and without going into details, Pagula Ice Arena was a shining light during a very challenging time in our athletic department, and uh, we were glad to be part of something that could give people hope again, and you know, be a part of the uh, really uh, putting the brilliance back on the already, from my standpoint, successful. Uh, athletic programs that we had here at Penn State. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we don't need to get into details, but that was certainly a time where there was a lot of turnover within the athletic department, especially at some of the highest levels with the AD and for 
the support to continue to be there and for all the moving pieces. It was a complex operation. It's really great to see now, five plus years later, how well everything has turned out and how much of a guiding light it continues to be for the university and for the athletic program. That's really great. I want to ask you, so you you mentioned when you were, you know, you got that first job out of college with the junior penguins kind of got you into the coaching. Did you always feel like, or think that you were going to be a coach when you were younger, or was that just something that came upon and just sounded right? And it ended up being a good chunk of your career. Well, you know, I, I, you've done your homework. I mean, (laughs) I talk about this in the book uh, a lot because that's kind of my passion now is to help people kind of avoid some of the, you know, potholes that that so many others have, have, you know, stepped in along the journey. No, I I never believed I would be a coach, you know, and and be in athletics um, as as a career. Um, I came to Penn State to be a nuclear engineer. Uh, you know, and that, that's a funny story in <laughs> itself because, you know, like so many public schools, you know, you have one guidance counselor to every four or 500 kids, you know, the, the, they're the most unappre- underappreciated, underpaid, undervalued people in, uh, in public high schools or the guidance and career counselors, because um, how do you really help somebody when you get to see them for maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe once or twice in their entire time at a high school. Um, and, you know, you're trying to help people. And no, nah, I was good at math and science. My mother worked for Westinghouse's nuclear division at the time. You know, I was like, hey, Joe, why don't you think about being a nuclear engineer? My, my response was, sure, when do we drop the puck? You know, I wanted to go play hockey. I wasn't thinking about that. And, uh, you know, I spent two years in engineering and realized, okay, this is not what I'm cut out to be. It was a lot harder. I admire the people that can do that for a living. Uh, it certainly wasn't me. And I never had taken any kind of an assessment. So I really didn't know, you know, how to evaluate things. I was the first kid in my family to go to college. And halfway through college, I, I was in, you know, uh, really dire straits because I knew I didn't want to be an engineer, but I had no idea what I wanted to be. And a guy made a big impact on me. He was a counselor at Penn State, you know, one of our undergraduate studies, uh, academic counselors uh, by the name of Jim Kelly. And Jim Kelly changed my life. Uh, He sat me down. First thing we did was an assessment. Uh, It came back calling that I should be in sales, marketing, or a physical education teacher. And uh, I kind of chuckled when the when the guy said, "You mean to tell me I'm going to go back and tell my parents that I'm going to switch out of nuclear engineering and I'm going to go be a gym teacher? <laughs> Nothing against gym teachers, but it's a whole different <laughs> description than what I would have done as a nuclear engineer." So it it it, uh, it led to me starting to research. Uh, on Jim's recommendation, he said, you know, Joe, uh, there's nothing that says you have to be a player or even a coach. You know, you can work in the business of sports. You're so passionate about it. And so I switched into the business school. We got a degree in marketing. I became president of our hockey club. I fell in love with the sales and marketing aspect of it. Uh, got my job with the Penguins. And again, I was working in sales and marketing, selling corporate sponsorships and season tickets. And then I got asked to coach the junior penguins by accident because their coach got transferred 
and I was a last-minute fill-in. It was supposed to be temporary, and it ended up becoming something I did for three years, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, I loved working with young people. Uh, I loved the exhilaration and excitement of coaching and feeling like I could make a difference in young people's lives. Uh, I was in way over my head back then. I just didn't realize it, and maybe because I didn't realize it, it turned out better. Um, but it's really when I decided, uh, you know, that wow, I, I, I really love this. My dad was a coach, um, a volunteer coach for American Legion baseball and softball, and um, played minor professional baseball. So athletics was certainly a part of my life growing up. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I played football, I played uh, baseball, I uh, ran cross country, I tried everything, and you know, but I was also playing hockey, and that, that was my passion. That was the sport that I, I fell in love with, but it was at a time when nobody looked to Pittsburgh for, for hockey players. So, um, you know, I was pretty, uh, pretty naive about things back in those days, but uh, I also, you know, I got, I got a chance to watch some great coaches, play for some great coaches, um, and studied coaching. I was always fascinated. I wanted to know what made the best coaches uh, successful. Um, you know, I, I, I just picked up every book I possibly could, watched any videos, um, went and went to conferences and clinics and seminars. I went to Roger Nielsen's up in Toronto. Uh, I was involved with Can-Am hockey camps uh, up in Lake Placid. Um, involved with USA Hockey, and it was, I was a sponge, and I just loved it, and, you know, I, I, I really always wonder if I would have been able to focus solely on coaching, because even when I was at Penn State coaching the, the club hockey team, it wasn't my primary uh, responsibility. Um, I was running arena and other facilities, and um, but also raising money for the hockey club and helping to you know, get the student hockey management uh, organization uh, uh, up and running because we we did everything. We we had our own uh, salespeople. We we sold ads. We sold programs. Uh, we did contests between us. And you know, people don't understand that that it wasn't like hockey just started at Penn State in two thousand and you know uh, twelve when it went back to varsity team. We we were selling out Greenberg. You know, 1,075 seats, we put 15, 1,600 people in there. And we, like I said, we ran it like a business. We ran it just like a Division One program. And I always used to joke that we put more kids into professional sports careers out of the Hockey Management Association than we did as players. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's still people that are involved in the business of sports who cut their teeth by that getting that hands-on experience of being involved with our hockey management association. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, no, I never intended to, to go into coaching, but I'm so glad I did. And, and in a way I'm back in coaching now doing what I'm doing and it's just not with sports. It's not hockey. Uh, although I still enjoy talking to sports teams and organizations and helping them. Um, now I'm back to coaching individual people and, uh, groups and, and teams and, uh, I'm back doing what, as my wife always said, it was my first best destiny to do, that I was my happiest and most fulfilled when I was coaching and teaching and instructing and, 
and I am very glad to be back in it because as an administrator, I was admittedly very mediocre, and uh, I'm back doing something that I feel I'm uh, much better suited to do, and and uh, don't don't uh, regret having been an associate AD and a vice president of an NHL team, but uh, I, I'm really cut out to be in the education field and, and to be coaching young people. As a coach or a teacher, is there one person or people that you emulate or that you wanted to learn influences from that helped you kind of figure out what your values were as a coach or your coaching style and the way that you interacted? Was there anybody that influenced you in that way? Well, the, uh, so many I can't tell you, but, but certainly <laughs> a couple. From the hockey perspective, it was Bob Johnson, um, longtime head coach of Wisconsin, Badger Bob was his nickname. Uh, he coined the phrase, it's a great day for hockey. Um, you know, coached Calgary Flames. When I, I met him at the USA Hockey uh, Conference in 1982 and, and became fast friends with him. And I just was amazed that this coach would take a phone call from some young kid um, and be willing to talk to me for a half hour. Um, you know, about any parts of the game. And, and uh, you know, I, I was really uh, just uh, enamored with the way he coached, the enthusiasm that he brought to the game, made the game fun. Uh, I brought him to Pittsburgh when I was working for the Penguins to do a uh, clinic um, uh, for the kids and the coaches. And I was still one of the highlights of my early career. Uh, and then, you know, eventually – he became the head coach of the Penguins and led them to their first Stanley Cup championship. And, you know, but then unfortunately he, he passed away uh, from cancer the very next year and was taken from us way too early. And, you know, also I'd say Herb Brooks was a was big influence on me. Tim Taylor, who was the Yale coach, Sean Walsh, who coached it in Maine, Ron Mason at Michigan State. Those were the, 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 the kind of guys that were, you know, big hockey influences on me. Um, but uh, Al Clark, certainly at, at Culver Military Academy. And in terms of coaches, you know, I, Coach Paterno, um, I learned so much from him. He literally helped me get my first job um, at, at, uh, with the Penguins uh, because he was the athletic director when I was the uh, president of the hockey club and the ice rink was right beneath the football complex so i used to see him all the time got to know him um you know studied him studied what he did you know i uh, there's not enough time for us to go into my beliefs and feelings about how you know poorly uh you know things worked out for him at the end and i'm not going to pass judgment on anybody all i know is that um, i saw the man do amazing things and i'm going to remember him for all of the positive things uh, and the positive uh, impact that he had on people's lives, including mine. And, uh, you know, uh, so I, you know, certainly uh, learned an awful lot because I was here. I got to know him and uh, his emphasis on education first was uh, for first and foremost in my mind as a coach. And, yeah. and then obviously my father had tremendous impact on me and you know he couple of things that my dad taught me one someone has to care you can make up for a lot 
with hustle. You know, if you just outwork the other team, you're in any game, uh, regardless of the sport. Um, he talked about, you know, playing with guts. You know, we, we referred to him as the belly man because he would talk about how we need a belly play here. Somebody's got to show some guts, uh, you know, at critical times uh, when I played for him in baseball and watched him coach baseball and competitive softball where he ended up winning seven World Series of softball championships. And he always teases me because he had one more national championship than I had. Uh, we won six uh, national club championships, which you know, it was kind of cool that my, my father and I had that kind of relationship. Talk about those things, but sure. you know, I, I, I you know, th- those are the people that influence. And of course, I, you know, he said I, I'm a sponge for learning everything that I can, and I still am. I'm still. It's hard for me to sit back and watch any sporting event and and say that I'm enjoying it um, without being emotionally. Uh, tied and, and critiquing the coaching that I see and trying not to be overly critical because as a coach, I remember what it was like being in the arena, being on the bench, you know, um, in, in, in having to make tough choices at tough times. And you know, until you've done it, Colin, I don't think most uh, people understand you know, that uh, what, what seems so obvious to the people sitting at home or listening on the radio uh, or in the stands, uh, we always talk about, you know, there's never been a fan in the stand that's ever been wrong. Um, <laughs> it's always easy to do that. They don't know the, the details and the specifics that are going on at a particular moment. No different than most people don't know what's going on in a boardroom. Um, you know, they don't know what's going on up in the C-suite. Uh, they may not know what's going on in the sales meetings, whatever it might be um, in business. Uh, you know, to me, there's just simple principles that, um, you know, they, they go way beyond sports and, and impact people, you know, in, in the, the regular world. And right now, I'm, I'm a vice president of an organization called the National Athletic and Professional Success Academy, NAPSA. Uh, was founded by a good friend, Brad Mitchell. Uh, it was an industrial engineering background and actually worked in politics uh, in the White House for a while. Um, and uh, Brad uh, saw this need uh, to help professional athletes to transition out of playing the game um, into the business world. And uh, so I'm, uh, I'm helping with that and getting to coach some amazing people and uh, being a part of a team there again that's, you know, really trying to transform people's lives in a very positive way and uh again that gets my juices flowing because i'm back to coaching and teaching and helping people to be better and that's what i love to do so you mentioned something really interesting when you were talking about your influencers and specifically when you mentioned coach paterno somebody within the same athletic program or department as you were but obviously a completely different program and one that was probably in some ways intimidating um, and in other ways, obviously very helpful uh, because Coach Paterno and and you developed a rapport. I think a lot of coaches, and this can be at the high school level and even obviously at the college level, they have a hard time going to other people, especially people that are just within their immediate communities, whether that's their athletic department or their actual community where they live. 
And I don't want to say it's because they think they're the smartest person in the room, but you know, they may just not want to interact with people and you lose out on so much, so much time that you can be using to, to learn and to be a sponge like you were. And I just wonder, do you, do you have any thoughts as to why coaches and leaders, why they may hesitate to reach out to other people, even people that are so close to them that may be able to help? And what would you say to them to try to help them get over that hump if there is some disconnect or if they're not feeling like they should reach out to other coaches for help or for advice? Well, first of all, anytime that anybody, I don't care if it's a coach, player, a manager, whatever, the day that you don't think you need to reach out and, and get help from other people is the day you ought to do yourself and everybody else favor and, and, and get out of what you're doing because nobody knows it all. Things are always changing. You know, I, I, I figure, look, if, if Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates and, you know, Eric Schmidt from Google and, you know, Meg Whitman from eBay, if these, you know, CEOs and celebrities and, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, can, can ask for help, then certainly the rest of us can. And I think part of this is, you know, that, that it gets back to starting with what are your values, what's your purpose. Um, those sound like such cliche you know, uh, goals and objectives for people. But think about it, Colin. If you don't know what you stand for, what you what matters to you, you're going to always be have a foundation that's shaky, right? And I think a lot of times we let our ego get in the way. Um, so you got to be willing to check in your ego and and just talk to people. I I, I got to tell you that when I attend conferences, I learn probably more from the meetings that go on before, during breaks, little chats, you know, outside in the hallway, um, you know, waiting for the next speaker, talking to some of the other people that are in the room. And then, you know, so whether, whether you're doing it formally or informally, you know, having a coach in, in your life, a mentor in your life, and being willing to be vulnerable and like I said, check your ego at the door and, and, and be willing to say, you know, I need some help, you know, and, and that commitment to lifelong learning is underrated. Uh, I think people need to remember that, you know, we just we just have to do what we've got to do to keep learning because of the rate of change in technology. Coaching is so different today. And, and when I say coaching, leadership, uh, management is so different today because of what's happened with technology. And, you know, I, I heard, you know, people, they'll, they'll complain about, you know, the, the, the iPhone, the smartphones and the technology and all that. And uh, I can't remember who said it, uh, but the, 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 I'll never forget the comment. It was telling young people to get off their smartphones and you know, put those things away and get rid of them and stop, you know, playing video games and things of that nature would be like telling Henry Ford to get off his Model T and get back on his horse. <laughs> you know, it ain't happening. Instead right. of, you know, saying, you know, these things are distractions, let's embrace and, and see what we can do uh, to share information. You know, what you're doing and the reach that you're going to potentially have is significant. And you couldn't have done this 
great 20 years ago. Um, Absolutely. And, and now, right? And, 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 and so uh, to me, I think it's the willingness to keep adapting, keep learning, keep growing, have a growth mindset, you know, keep asking. And, and what was beautiful about Bob Johnson, who I said was you know one the, the hockey coach I learned the most from, he would call me up and say, hey, Joe, we're playing this team this, this weekend. Um, do me a favor. I want you to watch our fourth check. Okay. And, uh, you know, give, give me an evaluation. Let me know what you think. And, you know, here I'm a 23, 24 year old coaching a junior hockey team in Pittsburgh. And I have the coach of the Calgary Flames calling me up and saying, hey, would you, you know, do, do, do an evaluation. I, you know, think about what that meant to me, what that did for me. Um, you know, it's a little scary, quite frankly, but, well, for him to do, he didn't have to do that. And, and that's what I loved about, you know, Bob and, and so many of the other coaches that I've uh, had the pleasure of being around. And, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to hear Mike Krzyzewski speak one time. And, you know, people are saying, Joe, you're a hockey coach. What the heck are you doing out there listening to some basketball coach? I learned so much, not, not about basketball or not even necessarily about hockey, about practice organization, you know, how to deal with critical conversations with your players and your staff and how to organize your uh, season. And, you know, uh, it was just amazing. And to me, again, I, I just would, would encourage anyone that, that, that thinks they, they, you know, need help, go ask, get it, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a formal coach, um, if you've got to pay a little bit of money to, to get the help to make you better go, do it and it will make a big difference in your life. Awesome. Well, two more questions here and then I'll let you go. I know you got to hop on to some other work here today. You mentioned a little bit earlier education being one of those things that you stand for personally as a coach and as a person. Do you have any other values that shape you and who you are? Yeah, I, you know, my it's always been family first. And, and while I'd like to believe I do a good job of that, I don't. I, I, you know, I'm like every other human being. I'm flawed, and I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm, I'm, I'm there all the time. But you start to realize that that's that's what it, that's what matters. You know, spending that time with family, whether it's a spouse, kids, you know, grandkids, um, you know, my parents, uh, who I was, you know, just with yesterday, um, and you know making sure that you have those priorities straight. Uh, the lesson that I learned from my father back in the year when I was a 10 year old kid, you know, that someone has to care because I, you know, I'd sit there and think about, you know, well, why do people do this? Why do people do that? Why do they sacrifice this? You know, and they could have had this, they could have had that because you have to care about other people. And, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I've always had kind of a servant leadership mindset I didn't know it was called that back then, um, but you know, it, it you got to start with what 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 makes what, what you know what makes everybody else around you better, um, you know, and, and is what you're doing providing good um, for you know the people that you can influence. You know, not everybody gets to change the world, uh, but everybody gets to make a difference in somebody's life, um, starting with your own. And uh, I think that if you can help people to do that, 
that that kind of service to others that that makes a big difference so those, those are the kinds of things that that really mattered to me with the players when I coached them you know it was family first you know school second hockey third social life fourth again did it always work out that way of course not um, doesn't mean you can't strive for it you're not trying to mm-hmm. get there um, very very fortunate to have coached amazing young men uh, and women quite frankly over the years because of camps and, and clinics and things and you know it, it, it's it's just great to go see them become what they could become you know to be the best version of themselves and uh, that that's what gives me joy that 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 gives me that feeling of purpose and meaning in life and if I can you know then you know be able to pass down those values to other people then you know what that that's that that makes life uh, worth living it really does absolutely that's got to be outside of you know potentially winning obviously is a really good feeling but that's got to be when you see your former players you know the things that they do and that they're successful with and when they become family men and women and things like that it's just got to be such a great feeling to know that you had some sort of impact on their life yes absolutely and and you know again so many people did that for me uh when i coached i always told the guys you have to give back i don't care what you do you know and try to give something back to the game of hockey that's been so good to you and and you know i i think if you can you know the uh, whether it's coaching refereeing being a team manager or helping raise money, uh, I don't care what it is, get back. You can get where you are by yourself. And and somebody somewhere along the way uh, influenced you. It could be parents, it could be a coach, it could be a teammate, whatever it was, you know, well, let's let's pay it forward. Let, let's let's you know leave a legacy uh, of good and 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 always strive to to, to do our best and, and look, we all fail, Colin. I, I get a little frustrated these days and you know the you know every everybody's a critic. You know, everybody's easy to jump on people that make mistakes and I don't know too many people that don't. Uh, we all try things, we all make mistakes in the heat of the moment. That's being human. You know, people need to learn to forgive themselves and to forgive others and be able to take lessons from that. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that I always did that. I didn't. I was a stubborn old Italian. You know, I, <laughs> I, you know, got, I was my own worst enemy many a times. And, uh, I'd like to think I've, I've learned and grown from those experiences. Uh, sure. There's times I wish I'd go back and, you know, have a do over. Um, you can't, you got to move forward. And, you know, uh, one thing leads to another and, um, I think, you know, that's one of the great lessons that comes from sport is resiliency, you know, being able to overcome adversity and challenges, um, being able to work with other people. You know, I, I, I think that, that anybody that can play sports and be involved in any kind of you know, group extracurricular activity, whether it's theater or band and music, you know, those kinds of things. I encourage kids to do that. What I get a little scared about is how many people think they're going to end up making their living doing that. And, um, you know, I don't want to burst anybody's dreams. I want them to dream big, but people have to keep it real too. 
and and you know if you really believe you're going to do you know be a doctor be a lawyer you know be a professional athlete be a, a coach whatever it might be then you better make sure you have really done your research know what it takes to get those things done put in the time and energy uh, to get it done and and that's the message that i have that's the, my mantra is dream big keep it real and go get it done you know lots of people have big dreams they even come up with great plans after they've done their homework and their research and then they don't have the courage to act on it and, and get it done and you know to me uh i always if somebody says to me if there, what's one thing that leadership boils down to and there's been millions of books written about this billions of dollars spent on this and it's been studied since the beginning of, of mankind for me it always comes back to courage you know a lot of people know what to do it's will you have the courage to do the right thing the necessary thing at the right moment when it needs to be done even if there's going to be pain sacrifice you know you're not you're going to lose some popularity um, every time in my life when there's been a major decision where I chickened out, uh, that, those are the only regrets. It's, it's when you've you know, done, had the courage, had the confidence because you put in the time and the energy to learn things. Um, and then you had that confidence to be courageous at that margin, right? When you need to, to make a significant decision in your own life. And the ones that impact other people. So um, that's I'm, I'm blessed. I'm grateful that I get to do this. I'm grateful that I get the opportunity to work with young people um, and that I continue to learn and will continue to learn. Uh, I'll always be a, a lifelong learner and, and hope that I can uh, pass that uh, and so many of the other good values on to people um, for the greater good. You know, my players used to make fun of me when I'd say, does anybody else have anything for the good of the order? You know, it was always about the Icer family. You know, what what can we do as a group uh, to make everybody benefit? We tried our best, didn't always succeed, but uh, had a, a great time. And the journey has been phenomenal. And I just hope to be able to share some of what I think it takes to have that both in a personal life and a professional life. And what I'm doing now as an author and as a uh, success coach. Absolutely. And that's a really great transition before we let you go today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this great book that you've written, Pragmatic Passion? Who's the audience for the book? Who can learn the most from this book? Well, in a broad sense, anybody can learn from it. Sure. Um, in, in that it's... Um, it's seven principles, common, what I call common sense principles. And, you know, we sometimes forget that common sense is sometimes the most uncommon sense there is. Uh, you know, you shake your head at some of the things you see and read and, and watch these days. And, you know, I, I, I just go back to, uh, you know, the, these are principles for personal and professional success. Uh, but I really wrote the book in my having in mind people that are going through transitions whether it's high school kids you know trying to decide what they're going to do after high school um and, and by the way that doesn't necessarily mean they got to go to college um we've we've perpetuated that myth for so long there's just an awful lot of kids that really at 18 are not ready to go to college 
and would be far better off, you know, taking a gap year uh, or maybe working and taking part-time classes until they have a better sense of what they really want to do and, and are, you know, mature enough to actually do the work. Um, some shouldn't be going to college at all. They should be going to the military. They should be going into uh, the, the trades. Uh, they should be going right into the workforce. Um, and, you know, I talk a lot about that in the book because uh, it bothers me that we have 42 million people that owe $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. And you have all these kids graduating with degrees that, you know, can't get them jobs. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it gets back to, uh, you know, that, that tells me we're doing something wrong. And so that, that's a big part of it. Uh, it's, it's kids in college that are trying to get their first job. It's parents trying to help that high school kid um, figure out what those next steps are and their kids that are graduating and helping them. And then for people that are in career transitions, um, what the book really does is it, it asks you to go back and kind of do a deep dive into you. I call it a you review. You know, we, it's amazing every year, you know, you get with your tax accountant, you know, you'll go to your doctor for your annual checkup. How many people take time to sit down and look in the mirror and say, all right, I'm going to spend the next three to four hours intentionally deciding if I'm where I want to be in my life. And if I'm not, what are the changes I got to do and who's going to help me do that? And that's why, uh, you know, Don Shulo, the old Miami Dolphins coach, mm -hmm. Ken Blanchard wrote a book years ago called Everyone Needs a Coach. And uh, I think in particular with athletes and coaches, uh, for that matter, right? We were all in this business. We, we knew what it was like after practice or during practice to get that candid um, feedback, immediate feedback. And I think that a lot of athletes struggle that when they get out into the real world, they don't have that anymore. And uh, they're wondering like, well, what's going on? I need some direction here. I want to know, you know, am I doing it right? And if I'm doing it wrong, help me with corrective action. Um, and so that's, that's why I, I wrote the book really uh, to try to challenge people to do a little deeper dive into what matters to them. Um, how do you figure that out? What are the resources that are out there to help you do that and to understand that this it really is a journey. I know it sounds like a cliche, but you know, people's passions change um, just like careers do. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, what you thought you wanted to do when you were 21 or 15, it may not necessarily be the same as when you're 55 or 65. So I have a friend of mine, Al Stewart, who helped me with the book, said, Joe, you know, I think this book is relevant for recent retirees who are trying to figure out, all right, I don't want to just sit at home and, you know, go fishing or just play golf all the time and, you know, uh, read books, uh, you know, by the pool. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to still make a difference. And, you know, so like I said, I, I don't mean to dance around who's the target audience, but really I, I wrote it with the idea that it could help a lot of different people across ages and gender and race and religious background doesn't matter um i to me it's it's about helping people and uh if if i can make a difference in people's lives that's that's my calling that is my pragmatic passion is to be able to do that for other people and help them 
you know, get the sense of joy and purpose and meaning uh, out of their life and, and, you know, their kids' lives and, you know, their friends' lives and, you know, but too much negativity in the world, you know, and, and uh, everybody's trying to outdo each other on, you know, the next uh, tragedy and bad thing that's going on. And I, I don't want to look at life like that, Colin. To me, it's there's never been a greater time in the history of this planet to be alive than right now with all the technological advances, with the ability to communicate with people all around the world, the push of a button um, to have, you know, uh, food, uh, you know, we don't have the, the kind of famine we had 30 years ago. We're not fighting as many wars as were fought 30 years ago. We're making progress. We got a long way to go, but we are making progress and it's going to take intentional and deliberate help uh, of people and, the, you know, people like me that want to give back and want their legacy to be that, that they cared and then want to help other people to grow. So that's that's why I did it. Um, I, uh, it was an amazing journey just writing the book. Big thanks to Weston Lyon, who helped me tremendously. And, you know, some of the other people that, that, that you know, helped me, you know, stay on track and, and, and you know, do what I did. And I, and I tried to thank as many of those people in the book as I could. And my good buddy, John Bacon, who... He did the foreword for the book. John's written six New York Times bestselling books. And he and I met at Culver Military Academy back in 1986. And at the end of our year together where we coached hockey, taught, um, kind of hung around, got to be really good friends. And I said, so what are you going to do with this, you know, history degree of yours from Michigan, Bake? And he says, Joba, I'm going to write books. I'm going to be an author. <laughs> I'm going to go out and, you know, do what I can write about sports history and all that. I just kind of chuckled at him, laughed and said, yeah, like that's going to happen. You haven't ever written anything. And he kind of sat back and said, oh yeah, you got a point there. Well, okay, smart guy. What are you going to do? And I said to him, hey, my dream is to go back to Penn State and help them get a division one hockey program and a new arena and see if we can't get that program to varsity status. And he says, Oh, and you think my idea is great. <laughs> well, you know, the reality is, and we've stayed friends all these years, and we look at each other and just laugh like, who, you know, that was 1986. Who would have thought it would actually come true? And, you know, it was partly because we had vision. You know, we had a purpose. We knew what our goals were. We knew what we wanted. And uh, I think that's where so many people struggle today is that they don't, they don't think about those things. And, you know, bigger is not necessarily better, more money is not necessarily better. Unfortunately, that seems to be the scorecard that we keep for people. And for me, it, it comes back to everybody's definition of success is a little different. You better know what yours is first and foremost so that you can live that joyful, meaningful, purposeful life full of you know uh, success and peace of mind. And, and that's a noble uh, objective for anybody and that's that's what I wish for as many people who hear this and you know are thinking about buying my book which I'd appreciate that um, and uh, you know hopefully I can I can leave a lasting uh, positive impact on a lot of people yeah and coach if people listening want to either buy the book the holidays are coming around quickly or they just want to get more information on your business or get in touch with you, where would you direct them to get that information? 
my website is pragmaticpassion.com. My email is joe at pragmaticpassion.com. Um, go to either one of those places if you want to order the book. Uh, I'll sign the copy. Uh, you can order it right off my website. If you put in passion five, the number five, in the uh, when you're out, uh, getting out of your shopping cart, there go to pay. Uh, there's a place where you can put that code passion five. It'll give you five dollars off, and I'll um, I'll personalize the book and um, and and get it mailed out. And uh, uh, I think it's you know uh, again been a blast doing this. I'm enjoying the people that I'm meeting and, you know, hoping that I'm making a difference. And, uh, Colin, I really appreciate you, you having me on and, uh, and giving me an opportunity to, to talk about my passion, and, and that's to help other people. Absolutely. And I appreciate you taking some time here today. And you're definitely somebody that influences me, and I've learned a lot just in the short time that we've known each other and from reading your book and learning more about you. So I definitely recommend to everybody take a look through, uh, like I said, not just a good uh, Christmas gift or a holiday gift, but definitely can learn if you're looking to increase your leadership skills or anything related to that um, and just find your passion. Like coach said, it's a really great resource. So coach, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I hope, uh, you know, hope everything keeps going well with the business and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon and uh, we'll have to keep in touch, especially through hockey season, but really appreciate uh, the time today. Well, thank you, Colin. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. I think what you're doing is awesome. Uh, I hope it just continues to grow and, and, and has a positive influence on other people. And, you know, just stay passionate, my friend, and uh, <laughs> look forward to keeping in touch. Will do. Thanks so much, Joe. Wow. What a passionate guy Coach Batista is. So glad we got him on the episode for this podcast if you're not jazzed up after listening to Coach Batista, I don't know what to tell you. But we appreciate him coming on board. We appreciate him, again, giving away one of his books for our book contest. Please go onto iTunes, give a five-star rating and review. We'll do a random drawing in a few weeks here. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I certainly enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with part two of the From Sports to CEO episode podcast. Thanks for taking some time to listen, and until next time, take it easy. So